Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for book 9, chapter 18. Um, <clears throat> Tolstoy describes that in the hot sun there was that content and discontent with, with the present moment. Why the discontent? It's an interesting uh, description to be both con- discontent to be both content and discontent with the moment. But it also makes a lot of sense. I feel like there's a million different ways in which I've felt exactly that. You know, Even that kind of feeling of trying to appreciate being content, but then in that attempt to appreciate it, you feel a little discontent. <laughs> Just that whole concept of like being present uh, or enjoying a moment for what it is. <clears throat> Twisted Every Way says Only Natasha would wish for more enemies So that she had more people to pray for It sounds to me like Russia and Moscow Are starting to get worried about Napoleon And there's a real unease Spreading through the city About what is going to happen The Qureshi says oh, ooh, Actually that's a good question Are we halfway today? Um, you know I would say yes Calendar wise Chapters-wise, I think we've reached, um, yeah, the halfway point. Twisted Every Way says, calendar-wise, yes, but book-wise, we passed the halfway point two weeks ago. Um, so I guess that was the halfway point in terms of page count, but in terms of chapter count, I think that is today. So, hey, congrats. Whatever way you want to look at it, we're past the halfway point now. Um, alright, we got a little peek inside Natasha's mind in that chapter, and that was cool. Poor young thing. She's just, uh, oh, she's depressed, isn't she? That's what she is. Let's keep reading. Chapter 19. From the day when Pierre, after leaving the Rostovs with Natasha's grateful look fresh in his mind, had gazed at the comet that seemed to be fixed in the sky and felt that something new was appearing on his own horizon... From that day, the problem of the vanity and uselessness of all earthly things that had incessantly tormented him no longer presented itself. That terrible question, why, wherefore, which had come to him amid every occupation, was now replaced, not by another question or by a reply to the former question, but by her image. When he listened to, or himself, took part in trivial conversations, When he read or heard human baseness or folly, he was not horrified as formerly, and did not ask himself why men struggled so about these things when all is so transient and incomprehensible. But he remembered her as he had seen her last, and all his doubts vanished, not because she had answered the question that had haunted him, but because his conception of her transferred him instantly to another, a brighter realm of spiritual activity in which no one could be justified or guilty a realm of beauty and love which it was worth living for. Whatever worldly baseness presented itself to him, he said to himself, well, supposing N.N has swindled the country and the Tsar, and the country and the Tsar confer honours upon him, what does that matter? She smiled at me yesterday and asked me to come again, and I love her, and no one will ever know it. And his soul felt calm and peaceful. 
Pierre still went into society, drank as much and led the same idle and dissipated life, because besides the hours he spent at the Rostovs there were other hours he had spent, had to spend somehow, and the habits and acquaintances he had made the Moscow form, sorry, he had made in Moscow, formed a current that bore him along irresistibly. But latterly, when more and more disquieting reports came in from the seat of war, and Natasha's health began to improve, and she no longer aroused in him the former feeling of careful pity, and ever-increasing restlessness, which he could not explain, took possession of him. He felt that the condition he was in could not continue long, that a catastrophe was coming, which would change his whole life, and he impatiently sought everywhere for signs of that approaching catastrophe. One of his brother Masons had revealed to Pierre that the following prophecy concerning Napoleon, drawing from the revelation of St. John. In chapter 13, verse 18 of the Apocalypse, it said, Here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. And in the fifth verse of the same chapter, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. The French alphabet, written out in the same numericals, values as the Hebrew, in which the first nine letters denote units and the other tens, will have the following significance. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K is 1 through 10. Alamina P, Q, R, S is 20 through 90, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. T, U, V, W, X, Y is 100, 110, 120, 130, 140, 150. And Z is 160. Writing the words of the Emperor Napoleon in numbers, it appears that the sum of them is 666, and that Napoleon was therefore the beast foretold in the Apocalypse. Moreover, by applying the same system to the words Quarant Deuce, 42, which was the term allowed to the beast that spoke great things and blasphemies, the same number 666 was obtained from which it followed that the limit fixed for Napoleon's power had come in the year 1812 when the French emperor was 42. This prophecy pleased Pierre very much and he often asked himself what would put an end to the power of the beast, that is of Napoleon, and tried by the same system of using letters and numbers and letters as numbers and adding them up to find an answer to the question that engrossed him. He wrote the words Lamper Alexander, Le Nation Russe, and added up their numbers, but the sums were either more or less than 666. Once, when making such calculations, he wrote down his own name in French, Comte Pierre Bezouf, but the sum of the numbers did not come right. Then he changed the spelling, substituting a Z for the S, and adding D and the article LE, still without obtaining the desired result. Then it occurred to him if the answer to the question were contained in his name, his nationality would also be given in the answer. So he wrote Le Rus Behozov, and adding up the numbers got 671. This was only 5 too much, and 5 was represented by E, the very letter elided from the article Le before the emperor. By omitting the E, though, incorrectly, Pierre got the answer he sought. 
Larousse Bezoff made 666. This discovery excited him. How or by what means he was connected with the great event foretold in the apocalypse, he did not know. But he did not doubt that connection for a moment. His love for Natasha, Antichrist, Napoleon, the invasion, the comet, 666, the Emperor Napoleon, Larousse Bezoff. All this had to mature and culminate to lift him out of that spellbound petty sphere of Moscow habits in which he felt himself had captive and led him to the, a great achievement and great happiness. On the eve of the Sunday when the special prayer was read, Pierre had promised the Rostovs to bring them from Count Rostovchin, whom he knew well, both the appeal to the people and the news from the army. In the morning he went to call at Rostovchin's. He met there a courier fresh from the army, an acquaintance of his own, who often danced at Moscow balls. Do, please, for heaven's sake, relieve me of something, said the courier. I have a sack full of letters to parents. Among these letters was one from Nicholas Rostov to his father. Pierre took that letter, and Rostovchin also gave him the Emperor's Appeal to Moscow, which had just been printed, the last army orders, and his own most recent bulletin. Glancing through the army orders, Pierre found in one of them in the lists of killed, wounded, and rewarded the name of Nicholas Rostov, awarded a St. George's Cross of the fourth class for courage shown in Ostrovna affair, and in the same order the name of Prince Andrei Bolkonsky, appointed to the command of a regiment of chasseurs, though he did not want to remind the Rostovs of Bolkonsky, Pierre could not refrain from making them happy by the news of their son having received a decoration. So he sent that printed army order and Nicholas's letter to the Rostovs, keeping the appeal, the bulletin, and the other orders to take with him when he went to dinner. His conversation with Count Rostovchin and the latter's tone of anxious hurry, the meeting with the courier, who talked casually of how badly things were going in the army, the rumours of the discovery of spies in Moscow and of a leaflet in circulation stating that Napoleon promised to be in both the Russian capitals by the autumn, and the talk of the emperor's being expected to arrive next day, all aroused with fresh force that feeling of agitation and expectation in Pierre which he had been conscious of ever since the appearance of the comet, and especially since the beginning of the war. He had long been thinking of entering the army, and would have done so had he not been hindered first by his membership of the Society of Freemasons to which he was bound by oath and which prevented perpetual peace and the abolition of war, and secondly by the fact that when he saw the great mass of Moscovites who had donned uniform and were talking patriotism, he somehow felt ashamed to take the step, but the chief reason for not carrying out his intention to enter the army lay in, in the vague idea that he was the Ruspitov, who had the number of the beast 666 that is part in the great affair of setting a limit to the power of the beast that spoke great and blasphemous things had been predestined from eternity, and that therefore he ought not to undertake anything but wait for what was bound to come to pass. Alright, there we go. Pierre attributing some kind of prophecy to himself, <laughs> although he did have to do a little bit of bending of the rules to to make it happen, but he's quite proud of himself. Uh, good to see inside Pierre's mind. That was kind of cool. Have your say about it over on the subreddit, and I'll see you tomorrow.